Howdy, y'all. Let's see. You are at the Progress Not Perfection workshop. And if you didn't mean to be here, it's okay. You're not perfect. <laughs> Let's see. Um, all right. Uh, I did that. Okay. Welcome to the Progress Not Perfection workshop. My name is Juliana, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I'll be your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. It says to pause. We remind you that this session is being recorded and all speakers must sign the release form. And we have that up here. So at the end, if you come up to speak, you can do that. Um, to protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. The format for the session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is progress, not perfection. The following is a reading from Voices of Recovery, page 133. Progress, not perfection. Program slogan. I never thought of myself as a perfectionist. After all, I was overweight. How could I be a perfectionist? I've since learned that it has nothing to do with how you look. Perfectionism is a deadly character trait. It can kill as easily as compulsive eating. It taught me that I'd never measure up or get it right, and it was a lie. Progress, on the other hand, gives me room to breathe, to be human, to make mistakes, and get back on the track anyway. Progress helps me become more flexible, accepting, and self-loving. Perfection feeds my dishonesty. Progress feeds my soul's desire for wholeness and health. I've come to believe that nothing in this world is perfect. Progress allows me freer choice and precludes self-esteem. I still experience my perfectionism, but because of OA and this slogan, I recover more quickly. I learn more from my mistakes than from trying to be perfect. Today, my program and my life reflects progress, not perfection. I see myself and my body as a work in progress. Today is good, and I am blessed. Our first speaker is Lynn from Morgan Hill. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you, Juliana. I'm Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater and a recovering food addict. And I'm glad to be here with you today, especially on this topic. Um, but I, I begin with a little bit of background on me and OA. Uh, when I came back to OA uh, in 2008, I weighed 233 pounds. And so now I'm at 125, which makes the math pretty easy. <laughs> There's 100 pounds gone. Um, and actually, tomorrow is my 10-year OA birthday of abstinence. <laughs> and I said coming back because I started in OA at in 1978 with 20 pounds to lose 
and took those off, worked the program, worked it really hard, stayed for about um, 10 years, and then went through what I call the OA food wars when we were deciding about food plans and all that kind of thing. And I just didn't make it. I was trying to please other people and not being honest about what was good for me. And what works for me was a structured food plan, you know, and something set. And I tried to do all other kind of ways, and it wasn't working, so I just left. Well, I'll tell you that 20 years away from OA was not good. A <laughs> hundred pounds showed up. And so then I finally decided I wanted to do something. You know, this older age was showing up, and, you know, all of the resulting numbers are going up on the medical things. And I thought, something has to happen. I don't want to live my life this way. And I went to an OA convention, very much like this. It was in San Jose. Um, in 2008, and it was so funny because I had talked to my cousin who was also in OA in Southern California, and he was talking about his mother and his or his wife and his daughter being in OA, and I went, oh, oh, you know. But I've also been in AA for the last 39 years, so I was attached to the 12 steps. I knew they worked, and so I thought, all right, I'll try. So I went to this OA convention, and I went to a hundred pounders workshop and heard about the various kinds of OA. And stayed all day, went to the workshops, and I thought, there's hope here. There's hope. And as I walked into the parking lot, I said, all right, God, how do you want me to eat? This is where you, I got in trouble before. I think you want me to be here. How do you want me to eat? And what I heard in my head was, no sugar and no flour. And I said, fine. Okay, I'm in. And I started going to meetings the next week or in the next few days, and I've stayed ever since. Working the steps, uh, I've been involved in intergroup and region and world service and just love it sponsoring it's just changed my life my father-in-law said Lynn I think you gave yourself another 30 years and I felt like that and I've learned a lot during these last 10 years one of the things I learned about was perfectionism and it isn't some great discovery I made on my own that you know the light bulb went on and I had this great moment no I was doing my fifth step with my sponsor and I I had gone to Villa Del Mar over in um, on the coast, you know, to do this for a whole weekend all by myself, just so I'd have the time to focus and concentrate and whatever. So I thought I'd done a really good job, right? And I went through all my stuff with her, and she said, "Yeah, that's yeah, all good, very accurate." She said, "But have you ever thought about perfectionism?" <laughs> it was like, "What, ma?" <laughs> hadn't crossed my mind (laughs) didn't see it at all and when I started to look at it and all the ways that it has been involved in my life and how I've hurt myself and other people it was it should have been obvious but it was just I didn't see it it was too much a part of me and the way that I worked so what has it cost me over the years well one thing it cost me was writing after I graduated from college I went to Cal and I was going to take, I got married shortly thereafter, and I was going to take some, doing some writing for the college a little bit, sort of a volunteer thing. And the young man who was the head of publications sent me back a sheet like this one, you know, this page, but it looked like it had been bled all over. <laughs> and I studied journalism in college. I mean, I could write, right? And I had all these visions of my future. And I looked at that, and the perfectionism in me said, well, I'm obviously not very good at this. I'll never be a Hemingway. I'm just not going to do it. I stopped. Didn't do any more writing for years. And then I thought, okay, well, I'll try art. I didn't have time in college. I love artwork. I took art history and all this. I'll try art. 
Well, I get into this community college class with a bunch of 18-year-olds who've been drawing since they were five, you know, and <laughs> they do these beautiful things off the top of their head. And I was, doing, I was getting better. I could see the progress. You know, it wasn't awful. But then the teacher wanted us to do a stand-up evaluation where we would put our artwork around the room and everybody could go around and make comments. <laughs> well, to a perfectionist and someone who's a little insecure was like, you have got to be kidding, not me. And I dropped out of the class. Another thing gone because perfectionism. I can see it in um, peace of mind loss, the hours I spent ruminating at night over what I could have said, should have done, you know, all of those things, what I, you know, what I really need to do the next day, all of those things. That's perfectionism at work. Um, loving relationships, I'm sure it's hurt. It's hurt because of my expectations of myself and other people. You know, I had my rules when I came into OA about how people were supposed to act. You know, the judgmentalism that comes from perfectionism. And what I, the way I handled that was I turned them into preferences. You know, I'd really prefer my, when I was dating my current husband, whenever he, I said, you know, I really would have preferred you'd done this. He knew he'd broken one of Lynn's rules. <laughs> So now I, I have a lot fewer rules, and it, I'm not nearly as upset about it. I gave up during that 20-year absence from OA. After the first little bit as more weight came on, I gave up wearing bathing suits. It was like, I'm not going to go out looking like this. I mean, I had worn bikinis in college. I'm not going to do this. And it was like, <laughs> so, so something I really loved. I was raised in Southern California. I mean, I lived at the beach. I just gave up because of the perfectionism. It's taken a real toll on my life. And the way I see it today is that perfectionism is just another name for fear. You know, just being afraid of being criticized, of not being accepted by other people, of not being loved, appreciated, all of that. And now I come to, it just doesn't work. You know, because I lose out on the fun of life. And on top of that, I'm still criticizing myself, if not for what I didn't do wrong, for the fact that I wasn't brave enough to do it. You, know, you can't win with it. You just can't win. It's so much better just to let it go. So what can I do about it? That's the next step, right? What can I do about it? Well, I've decided that steps six and seven are perfect. I've really learned that it isn't my job to fix myself anymore. I couldn't say, Lynn, you're a perfectionist. You have to stop this right now. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. You know, the slave driver approach didn't work with my food. It doesn't work with my defects. I have to turn it over to God and let this, my higher power, you know, take care of this and fix it. But I've also learned that that doesn't mean I just to get back and say, Oh, good. I'm not a perfectionist anymore. I've turned this over. <laughs> that doesn't seem to work either. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed is when I turn things over, what I get are opportunities to practice doing it differently. You know, and I have to act as if it's been removed and just put one foot in front of the other and listen when it's time, when something comes up and I have a choice about how to behave. Ask for my higher powers guidance then. How do I handle this? You know, what's, what's, what would love do? You know, what would love do in this situation? And move forward from that. I need to focus on completion rather than perfection. 
It's like with writing, it doesn't do any good if you never start because then you never have anything written. I mean, what's to criticize? You just have to get it done, you know, and it'll be what it's going to be. But at least it's finished. So completion is the goal. And leaving the results to God. I can only do the best I can and not plan all the outcomes or judge them when they come out. It just, that doesn't work for me either. And part of the result of that is being easier on myself and other people. You know, because I don't have those expectations or those rules anymore. And it, and there's also that sense of um, being forgiven. You know, in there's in the Lord's Prayer, it says, uh, please forgive me my trespasses. But there's this kicker right after that. It says, as I have forgiven others. And so I have to be willing to do that. And so I need to forgive myself, but other people as well, and not have those expectations of them. Um, using the serenity prayer a lot, you know, what can I change in this, and what, you know, what can't I? But also I have a short version of the serenity prayer that I use a lot. It's, oh well. <laughs> Oh, well, (laughs) and move on from there. Okay. Um, Trying to look at what's good in a situation rather than what's bad with it. Um, I like to think a lot about diamonds. I like diamonds, right? They're good things. And they are faceted with lots of different angles. And I can focus on the facet that might be a little murky, it's not quite right, or I can look at the 95% of it that's really gorgeous, you know, and so what am I going to look like, or in my life, there's some parts right now, you know, that, you know, health and other things that might be a little tweaky, 95% of my life is terrific, you know, so where am I going to focus, you know, what am I going to look at, and the other thing with diamonds is they have flaws, most all of them, I mean, the ones that don't, well, I go to look at those in museums, (laughs) (laughs) But most all of them have flaws of some kind, and I can love them anyway. And that's a good thing, to be able to do that. Well, I have flaws too, so why can't I love myself? You know, and be able to look at that. One thing that I learned early in program was with using the serenity prayer is if I'd be like in a business meeting and I would say something that really wasn't very productive or there could have been a better way to say that, when I would get out my old pattern had been the ruminating that I talked about, beating myself up about, you know, how dumb I was for that or something. And so what I learned with that is I could stop, pull back, and say, okay, what did you learn in this situation? You know, one, what did you learn? How would you do it better the next time? And I'd do that. And then any time after that, I'd have to let it go and say, I've learned this lesson. It's over. And I'd use an affirmation to replace it, the thought. And I'd say, I am a gift to myself and others. You know, so any time that meeting came up was, I'm a gift to myself and others. And not dwell on it, because there isn't any point in it. It's over. You know, and if any changes had to be, you know, or amends or anything like that, fine. Do those. But not focus on it. I even have a little necklace I'm wearing today that is a bow. And I used to sort of picture myself with a bow. I'm a gift to myself and others. (laughs) And just move on from there. Um, I used affirmations a lot. And it could be, um, I'm a diamond, flawed but beautiful just the way I am. 
And the one we hear a lot in OA, the I am enough, I have enough, I do enough, you know, I sort of rotate them depending on what's going on at the moment. Um, I am loving and lovable. You know, when I feel like I haven't been a very good friend maybe or something like that, to reinforce it, to say, I'm loving and I'm lovable. You know, it's okay. Or if I'm afraid, God is my source. You know, God is in charge. I did that once um, when we were on our honeymoon and there was a bomb threat on the plane. And, you know, you're in absolute no control, right? That plane's either going to blow up or it's not. And nothing I was going to do was going to change that. And it was just sort of like, okay, God's in charge. You know, and sit back and relax. And just let life unfold. Um, I wanted to share with you a, a thing from Voices of Recovery. And I bet everybody... Many people in here will have read this. It's yesterday's voice of Zip Recovery. Does anybody remember that one? And those of you who are interested in the perfectionism may have seen it. What it says, and this brings it another step, our purpose in doing step eight is not to judge others, but to learn attitudes of mercy and forgiveness. An OA friend mailed me a sand dollar and an essay he had written on perfectionism. His writing helped me let go of this character defect. The essay says to look at the sand dollar. It's not broken, but it has flaws. It may be stained and have a nicked edge or a small hole. Can you still love it? If you can learn to love your imperfect sand dollar, you are capable of loving the imperfect world and people around you. People have disappointed you, hurt you, and let you down by being imperfect. Can you let go of the idea of perfection and accept reality? Loving people just the way they are. Love the imperfect people around you. Love your imperfect self and your imperfect world. For if you cannot love life the way it is, you will suffer from eternal loneliness. We all live in an imperfect world surrounded by imperfect people. The ability to love yourself and those around you is a gift from God that enables you to live fully bravely and meaningfully in an imperfect world. This morning when I got up to get dressed and to come down here, I had picked one of my favorite blouses to wear, and I slipped it on and I looked in the mirror and I thought, oops, oops, I happen to be wearing a heart monitor right now. And I had been planning my wardrobe and other things where it was you know, more of a closed neck shirt and that kind of thing. Well, there it was, and I don't have a wardrobe to go pick from. The closet's in Morgan Hill. You know, it was sort of like, oh, well, I'm a sand dollar. <laughs> I have a flaw. Oh, well, I'm going to sh- show up, and, you know, and only one person all day has asked me about it. So <laughs> there it goes. Okay, so has this been working for me? Absolutely. I'm angry much less often. In my marriage before I came, well, that, that marriage ended like in 78 or something, so it's been a while. But my nickname was Old Grizz because the anger that was there, that, that now is just gone. I'm just not very angry. I have a lot more joy in my life. I'm more adventuresome. I laugh a lot more. I can laugh at myself and say, well, look what you did now. <laughs> you know, look at that. Oh, well. Oh, well. Better relationships, enjoying life more. So just... I guess I would wish for all of you that you'd recognize that you're all diamonds. You know, perfect, just as you are. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Lynn. Okay, our second speaker is Karen from Campbell. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. My name's Karen V. Uh, I, just to qualify really quick, I came into the program, actually I came in in October 2008, and I, I came for a friend. That's part of my perfectionism. You know, I want to be... Um, Supporting others, you know, that's 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 my thing. You know, I always want to support somebody else. So I came to program to support someone else and stayed. She did not. Um, so I got my abstinence in uh, November 2008, and I didn't make it through Thanksgiving. Uh, and I called my sponsor, and she said, well, just call me up in January. I was like, great. So December 2008, I ate myself through Christmas. I gained 20 pounds in that month, and January rolled around, and I said, you know, uh, I called that sponsor up, and she committed my food for three days, and she never called me back, and I thought that was odd. So come to find out that she had lost her abstinence, too. So I decided in all my infinite wisdom that I was going to sponsor myself, because <laughs> I knew everything, you know? Uh, so there I am trying to sponsor myself. I lasted three days, you know, and then the, I call it the BLTs, bites, licks, and tastes. You know, they slowly started to create lick the spoon after I weighed my food, you know, that sort of thing. So they crept back into the program. There I was, uh, January 16th, 2009. I was at a meeting, and, um, they say at the end of the meeting, you know, are there any other announcements? And I... I don't know what was happening at the meeting, who shared what, but at the end of the meeting, I stood up and I said, my name's Karen V. I'm a food addict. And I was going to say sponsor, but I said supervisor. And I was like, my name's Karen V. I need a supervisor, you know? <laughs> so everybody laughs. I get all embarrassed, you know? But somebody came up to that, to me after that meeting, and she changed my life. I've been abstinent nine years. Four of those years have been abroad, living abroad in Thailand, and my life has transformed. Um, so I, my first meeting I ever went to was a, a regular OA meeting, and I didn't connect with it, right? Uh, I went back, I did the pay and way uh, program, and I did that for six years, and I never really, you know, lost the weight, right? I just kind of back, bounced up back and forth. And then, um, and then I joined OA90. Now, there's, what's great about OA is there's at least 25 different programs. There's FA, FAA, Primary Purpose, BBA, HOW, you know, the Living the Promises. There's so many different factions of OA. I'm an OA90. It works for me. That's my my food lifestyle, if you will. If you're relapsing, you're continuing to fail, continue to fail, try another program. You know, there's over 25 different OA programs. Keep trying until you find a food lifestyle that works for you. 
Um, so as my abstinence grew and grew, uh, I, I, I've had so many progress and not perfection moments in my career, you know? Um, about six months in, I, I decided I had lost the weight. I decided I was ready to date. This isn't God-reliance. This is self-reliance. I'm, I am ready to date. Just put an exclamation point on that, right? Um, so, so me and another girl from program, we decide we don't like the guys in OA, so we're going to try a different program, different 12-step program. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so... So I, and it's, you know, date night is Friday, Saturday night. So I go to this AA meeting on a Saturday night. It was the rock bottom meeting. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, people were throwing up in the background. You know, people were eating cook, you know, just eating food, drinking. They were like the rock bottom of, and obviously, you know, it didn't help. But I learned something. I learned that I could go to other meetings and get the same kind of serenity, the same kind of message. No matter what the addiction, it's all the same, no matter what the substance. So I got a lot out of that, right? Um, For a long time when I would go to meetings, I would be looking around, looking at other people, just sort of doing their inventory, right? I'm like, oh, you're looking in your lap. I know what you're doing. You're playing on your cell phone, you know, or you're, you know, you're not paying attention. The in some of my meetings, we have, um, you know, if you're a food addict, raise your hand, and some people will be like this, and other people just little tiny finger, you know, a little bit down at their lap, and I'd be watching that to see who was like who was loud and proud and who wasn't, right? And um, I heard this story once of um, th- this man came up to, the, uh, up to the secretary after the meeting. He said, you know, I'm not coming back. These people are hypocrites. They're, they're, you know, they're not doing what they're told. They're doing this and this. And, and the chairperson said, you know what? Get a glass of water. I want you to walk around with that glass of water, take two laps all the way around the room, and don't spill the water. So he did. He got his water, and he walked very slowly, and he made sure he didn't spill that water. And he came back, and he said, so what did you see? And he said, well, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention to anybody else. I was making sure the water wasn't overflowing. And he said, exactly. Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your water, what you're doing, not what everybody else in the room is doing. If they leave because they have to go to the bathroom, you don't have to think it's because of you. You know, you don't have to, you know, because the next person next to you is crocheting. You don't have to think it's because of you, you know, or that they're not listening because they are. You just, you know, your mind plays tricks on you, right? Um, So uh, a while ago, I was listening to the radio and Deepak Chopra was there, and Many of us have had a problem, you know, defining that higher power, whether it be God or what have you. And as I'm listening to, to uh, Chopra, he says, you don't have to define God as, you know, a person up in heaven, you know. He says, think of it as your unconsciousness. Your consciousness talks to you. It tells you you're negative and positive. You know, it just, it's just thinking, thinking, Right. But your unconsciousness doesn't talk. 
it can't communicate with you. And so that's what I do. You know, when I talk to God, when I, when I hand things up, I hand it to my unconsciousness. Because then it leaves my, my consciousness, and I don't think about it anymore. And that's when things can resolve. You know, that's when things get better. Um, for me personally, you know, after about a year, two years in program, I went back to school. I got my bachelor's degree. I, it's like I matured finally. Like, you know, giving up the flour and sugar just, I don't know, my synapses worked, you know? Um, so I went back to school. Three months before I graduated, somebody in class said, hey, I'm going to go uh, teach in Thailand uh, with this organization. And that night I went home and I looked it up. And the next morning I applied. And at lunchtime they called me. And that night I accepted. So it's just, I didn't even, you know, it's, it's funny how uh, people ask me, you know, were you scared or stuff like that? And I've always been a fear-based person. Everything, all of my decisions before program were fear-based. But I just knew it was the right next move. I didn't even think about it. And um, I, I moved to Thailand. It was rocky at first. But, um, you know, I... In my program, OA90, we do three weighed meals a day, no snacks in between. And I brought my scale with me, and I, you know, I weighed my food every day, and I participated in life. I, uh, I, I was a teacher in Thailand for four years, and uh, I got to travel all over Southeast Asia, abstinent. It's not that hard. It's a truly portable program. It's a portable food lifestyle that we can all do. Um, you know, when I first got into program, when I was sponsoring myself back then, um, I was like, okay, well, there's 12 steps, so I could do a step a day, and that's 12 days. <laughs> Done! <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. And um, so, you know, I did step one and step on day one, and I did step two on day two, and I did step three on day three, and then I got to step four. And I, I couldn't do it all in one day. So I gave up, right? And still I was sauntering myself, so I, it was, you know, I didn't, you know. Anyways, uh, fast forward about a year, and, and I'm ready to do that fourth step again. So, so I do this fourth step. It's, it's like a ream of paper. It's a saga, right? <laughs> and, and I finish my fourth step. And, and I, I give my fifth step away, and, um, you know, my, my sponsor, you know, t- walks me through six and seven, and she's like, and, and then she sent me home. I was like, okay. And I had read somewhere that um, it's very cathartic to burn your fourth step, you know, to burn it all, and then you can give it away. Well, they don't tell you the A step is making a list. <laughs> Of all the people that you need to make amends to. And I burned it. I burned my fourth step. <laughs> so now I couldn't make this grand list. And uh, I had to do it all over again. But the, the next time I did it, it wasn't a ream of paper. It was a quarter of a ream. You know, it was only 100 pages as opposed to 300. But it was a lot of progress. It was a lot of progress. Not perfection, but a lot of progress. 
Um, so my, uh, my latest step study is called BBA, Big Book Awakening. And in that one, it, we, we talk a lot about uh, self-reliance versus God-reliance, right? And, and it's, it's about handing things up. You know, the more you try to control, the more you want that perfection in your life, the less easy life is. And so it's, it, it's giving up that self-reliance, that fear, and going to, to God-reliance. Now, for me, one of the things that I do personally is um, I take apart the serenity prayer and I apply it to the situation. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Can I change the fact that I am stuck in traffic? No. <laughs> no, because I have to get somewhere, right? Um, I can't remember the rest of serenity prayer right now. Um, the courage to change the things I can. And, you know, can I change this? Can I accept that I need to change this or I don't need to change this? And that's where program comes in. And I go, you know, I could just sit here and take a deep breath and, you know, be in the moment instead of getting frustrated and honking and getting all mad at traffic because I can't control it. Um, one other thing, you know, I, um, going back to dating really briefly, I, so after that lovely experience of, you know, going to the other 12-step meeting and not finding what I needed, I, I then decided, you know, uh, I, I would date in, in program, and, um, in, uh, there's this book by Steinbeck of Mice and Men, and uh, one of the characters, Lenny, he, he gets this, this mouse, in a, f- a field mouse, and he decides he's going to love it. But when he tries to snuggle with it, it wiggles and wiggles, right? And so he tightens his grip to, to give his mouse love, and he kills it, right? And that's sort of like what I did when I first started dating. and pro- Well, like, all through my 20s, I didn't really date. I didn't know how to date, right? And so I learned in program, and um, I totally, like, smothered him. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I met someone who gave me what I needed in program. And the end result was that it actually didn't work out, but I'm so thankful that, you know, God provided me with that person in my life to learn how to stand up for myself, to learn how to be independent, to learn how to be, you know, me, comfortable with me. Now, when, um, after three years in program, I moved to Thailand. And, and before this, I had always lived at home because I didn't have to move out. I was afraid of being broke, of having a car payment that I couldn't do, you know, of fear of everything. Like, I just, I stayed home because I was afraid, right? Uh, So I moved to Thailand by myself. And the first year and a half, I didn't come home. And I didn't realize until later that it was because I needed that independence. I needed to prove to myself that I could do this on my own. I could pay my own rents. I could, you know, buy a car. I could, I could do all of this stuff and be comfortable. 
being comfortable in my own skin is is hard for me because I'm fear based, right? Um, I I've done amazing things because of program. One, this is this might sound kind of funny, but um, about a year into program, I I got um, I had a family reunion in Disney World, so I went a couple days early, and I just did Disney World all by myself. This was like the first time I had really like gone on vacation by myself. It was so great. I only did the rides I wanted. If I didn't want to wait in line, I didn't. I could eat when I wanted. You know, it was just everything all about me. Oh, it was so great. And since then, I've traveled to Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, um, China, all by myself. And it's been wonderful. I can be independent. I'm not. I still have fear. That never goes away. But it's progress. I, I've changed my life because of the program. Right now, um, about a year and a half ago, uh, my mother passed away suddenly. And my father has dementia. Well, I'm the youngest of nine children. And uh, there I am living abroad. And, and one of my sisters calls me and she says, you know, someone needs to live with dad. And I said, great. We got eight siblings and me. You know, we each take one year and then, you know, whatever. And I said, I, I could take, you know, I'll take a year, you know. Um, and she said, well, no, so-and-so's married, so-and-so's got this job, so-and-so. And it came down to me. And she said, can you come home and live with dad? And my first thought, no. I have a life here. I have a career. I have, you know, goals. I have stuff to do. It took me about six months to, what do they call it, like the seven stages of grief or whatever, you know, denial and guilt and shame and what have you, to go, you know what, this is a gift. I get to be home with my father and take care of him, you know, and all of my siblings have to work. <laughs> so so I did. Uh, in in um, October 2016, I, I moved back from Thailand. I moved back home. Uh, I started grad school. I'm going to actually, next month I'm working on my thesis. I'm just finishing up that. And, um, and and I live at home and I take care of my dad. You know, he has severe dementia at this point. And I, I've had to adjust my program because um, it's hard to leave him, right? He doesn't, he could get lost, right? He has to physically be near me. So I don't do as many live meetings as I do. I don't speak as much as I do, but I could do telephone meetings, and I do other program-related things. I have my sponsees. I have, you know, I have outreach calls, and I'm able to put program into my life, keep program into my life. Now, when I was in Thailand, um, they didn't have OA meetings. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) So... So uh, when I was in Bangkok, we, they had, you know, other, one minute, okay. They'd have other 12-step meetings. And then, um, thankfully, they have Skype meetings online. No cameras allowed because it's anonymous. But they have OA Skype meetings all over the world. And you can, they're free, obviously. You know, it's, it's uh, international meetings. And you can do this. This this program is truly portable. Wherever you are, whatever country you're in, you can find a meeting, either live meeting or a telephone meeting or a Skype meeting. 
it's amazing what you can find. Keep coming back. It works. Thank you, Karen. Uh, let's see. Our third speaker is Pam from San Jose. Hi, my name is Pam. I'm a food addict and a compulsive overeater, compulsive eater, and a lot of other things that qualify me for 12-step programs. Very grateful to be here. Hi. Very grateful to be here. I brought my show and tell. I don't know if you'll be able to see it or not. I'll try to stand back as far as I can. I did this a couple of weeks ago, and someone did a drum roll. <laughs> I stand sideways because I think it's more dramatic this way. But it's pretty dramatic either way. Um, This was getting to be too small. Um, I was getting to be pretty desperate, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so let's see. I came into OA in November of 2008. Um, over the next 14 months, I lo OA90, uh, the 90-day format specifically, over the next 14 months, I lost half of my weight. My, my highest recorded weight was 286. Um, I did lose some weight before I came in, but that was torture. It was absolute torture. Um, and, um... I lost the weight, which was, you know, exciting, but I promptly began relapsing, um, which I think is what qualifies me for this workshop because <laughs> a little bit of an expert on the not perfection part. Um, and uh, I realized, you know, this is a disease. I have this disease, this disease of addiction it's not going away. There's no cure for it. And uh, I, need to, I need to avail myself of this solution, this remedy. There's nine tools and there's 12 steps. Um, the nine tools help me live abstinently. And the, the, the nine tools help me stay abstinent and the 12 steps help me live abstinently. Um, so uh, my, I've been abstinent since January of 2011. I've also been 145 pounds since then, which is less than half of what I really weighed when, when I got started. And losing the weight is really something. Um, I've been the same weight now for over seven and a half years, continuously abstinent since then. It definitely isn't anything that I've done, you know, figured out on my own because I'm so smart. <laughs> it's totally born of complete desperation and um, nowhere else to go. 
is basically what got me here. I didn't start out here. I ended up here. Um, and uh, I've been, I, I've been, so losing the weight is really something. Keeping it off is something else. But the most incredible thing is that I have totally lost the obsession and desire to um, hurt myself with food. To let this disease have its way with me. And I didn't think that that was possible seven and a half years ago. I thought I was going to die in the disease. Um, So how did that happen? Well, like I said, uh, when I ended up relapsing for almost the entire year of 2010, it was pretty scary. Um, The disease really just roared back with a vengeance. I can't say that it ever really went away because I didn't really throw myself into program. I kind of decided to pick and choose whichever parts I thought would, I felt like doing or exclude the ones that I didn't feel like doing. Those nine tools are a super important part of my life. The sponsor that I have now had me commit to working those tools every day. And that's what I do. I work them every day like my life depends on it. The um, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has very specific details, as it says in the book, that it precisely details how we recovered. And I follow those instructions. Um, I do these things every day. so I do my, my, I have some bullet points here. I do 100% step one. That's the only thing that I can do 100%. Um, I, I don't drug myself by quantities of food or substances. For me, it's been... My my disease was progressive. That's another thing about progress. My disease was progressive. Well, so has my recovery been. As I've gone through my recovery, I've seen there have been other things that had to go. There have been not just uh, substances and there's behaviors. Um, anyway, I'll never achieve perfection that's not going to happen. Um, the progress is my spiritual progress. In, in the things that we read, specifically in, in the big book, but um, it says in the beginning of chapter 5, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. It says thoroughly It doesn't say perfectly. There's a big difference. Those two words are not interchangeable. (laughs) It's not the same thing. So I am thorough every day, but I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. By virtue of the fact that I'm a human being means it's impossible for me to be perfect. That's not going to happen. So I stopped you know, trying to make that happen long ago. When I was in therapy early on in my recovery journey, 
I remember asking my clinical psychologist, you know, about perfectionism. And he very matter-of-factly said, well, perfectionism is self-abuse. And I thought, that's what I do. You know, everything that the disease drives me to do is self-abuse. Even though it started off with me self-medicating and trying to comfort myself and, and make things better, it turned on me. And it ended up being every kind of self-abuse that I've ever experienced through living out my life in the disease. Um, so life is still the same. You know, like I, I heard someone else say about, you know, oh, you're going to lose the weight and everything will be great. That didn't happen. I went through breast cancer treatment. I broke my leg. I was in a wheelchair for three months. My best friend died suddenly and unexpectedly. Even my my doggy, my my best buddy, you know. I mean, and there's been a lot of other things that have happened in the course of, of this recovery journey. Life is, I would love to say, life has changed completely. It has not. Life is still the same. What's changed is me and the way that I get to live now, the choices that I get to make. I mean, you know, um, it's it's a lot better <laughs> being in recovery. Um, and, and another thing about per- perfectionism, when... When I was constantly thinking that I had, you know, this weight problem and had to have something done about it, you know, I remember when the doctor told me that my thyroid was fine. I was like, you better check that again. Some, I wanted something that was like I, like I would have rather had something wrong. You know, I just wanted a pill that was going to fix it. It was, it was too much for me. And I wasn't realizing that what was really wrong is, thank you, that I have this uh, incurable disease. And I'll, I think I, I got that confused. I think I thought that when I got to a certain point um, that I was going to be cured. And it was going to mean that I could just carry on and do you know whatever I wanted to do. But that's not what happened. But that's okay because instead what I've been given here is this God-given, God-centered way out of this struggle. And I have to surrender. My surrender isn't perfect either, but like I said, I am thorough and I am painstaking and I'm always striving for improvement. There's not a day when I wake up where I think like, oh, not today. I'm not going to do that recovery thing today. That, that never happens. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is connect with God and say, I'm going to do whatever you need me to do today. I'm going to do my 1%, 100% of my 1%. And then I know that my higher power will do the other 99%. And I know I think what I do is a lot and a big deal, you know. Um, 
chopping vegetables and <laughs> weighing my food and, you know, uh, whatever I think I do, that's a big deal, but it's just really a small part. I know that I'm powerless uh, over this disease and that my life's unmanageable when I'm, when I'm in it. But that doesn't mean that I just give up if I can't do it perfectly. I keep striving toward it. Even when I was in relapse, the only thing I did right was I kept coming back. Even when I felt like this isn't working, I don't know what to do, I'm going to die like this, this is terrible, I still kept coming back. I was, I was so desperate, you know, just so desperate to make this work. It's the end of the road for me. There's no place left for me to go. Everything else I've tried and tried and tried. And this is the only thing that gives me the freedom from the obsession and compulsion. And that's because it's a spiritual program. I get a power greater than myself. I need that spiritual program to change. That's what I was desperate enough to do. I was desperate enough to change. Not just a little bit, but to change my life completely. And that's what's happened. That my life compared to the way it was years ago, there's no resemblance and I'm not done. I mean, I've got I've got a lot <laughs> I've got a lot more room for improvement, but it's one day at a time, one choice at a time, one moment at a time. Like I said, always striving for that improvement. I work my life, my program, like my life depends on it because I believe that it does and that the quality of my life depends upon the quality of, of my recovery. Um, without this program, I'm sunk. I really am. And I know that. And I accept it. I mean, you know, do I wish things were different? I mean, do I wish I was 30 years younger? Do I wish I was you know, five inches taller. Yeah, there's lots of things I wish like that, but it's not going to do me a lot of good sit around, sitting around wishing for those kinds of things, and that's the same thing. I don't sit around and wish I wasn't a food addict or a compulsive eater or any of the other things <laughs> that I am too. Um, I'd strive for spiritual progress. It's my main concern, you know, every day that I'm treating this disease there's no other way out for me. There's no other solution that ever really worked. Anything else I tried just got me deeper and deeper into the disease. And what I really need is my higher power. That's it. And, and I get that here. I don't know how else to get that. I, I have never gotten it anyplace else. I learned here. I, I've heard other people say, when the pain outweighs the fear, thank you, you'll change. And I think that when the pain outweighed the comfort, I was ready to change. Because I got so uncomfortable in program. I hit my bottom in program, and I was desperate to change. I like now having this 
these disciplines. I don't even think of them as disciplines. I think of them as devotions because this is what I need to do to be a disciple of this program and everything that it has to offer. It's got everything that I need. Um, I heard someone say one time, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. And I don't compare myself to anyone else. I only compare myself to me. And I look at how now I really feel like I don't think about um, perfection at all anymore. I think about the progress that I've made. I think about how I went from feeling like I was going to die because I couldn't stop eating, that I wanted to die because I couldn't stop eating. I didn't know what else I was going to do. And I do not ever feel that way anymore. Uh, That's a big deal. I'm not going to say... You know, and I used to hate myself. I used to call myself names. I won't even repeat. Not the, you know, the worst of which was I'd say, why did I eat them? Am I crazy? Just like Bill said in his story. Why, Why am I crazy? Such an appalling lack of perspective. I'd call my name, myself terrible names all day, every day. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. I'm not in love with myself yet, but I I got a long way to go, but I don't hate myself anymore either. And that's a big deal. And it doesn't have anything to do with the size of my body, how much I weigh, eating healthy, any of those things. Those things were never enough in and of themselves. They were never enough. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is the spiritual principles, the integrity that the tools have and the steps of this program have have given me, that my my thoughts and my beliefs match up with my actions, my desire to be of service. And to participate in this program as fully as I possibly can. And hopefully give back what I've so generously been given. Because this program has saved my life many times over. Many times over. I, when, I, when I found the, the lump, the nurse said to me, you know, if you wouldn't have lost all that weight and found that lump, this could have been another 10 years from now. And it would have been a whole different tumor and a whole different story. So um, that's just one way. And all of the amazing things that I've been able to experience as a result of being in this program, things I know never would have happened. There's no way that they ever would have happened if I hadn't been on this spiritual path with all of you. If this hadn't become the most important thing in my life Because it is. Without this program, without those tools every day, without those steps, I'm going to be right back where I started. It doesn't matter how long I... It's one day at a time. Thank you. It doesn't matter how long I've been without eating compulsively and addictively. I'm not keeping any kind of record of how many days I have abstinent. It doesn't matter... Today is the only day that I have. I can't stay recovered off of what I did yesterday 
or what I hope I might do tomorrow. You know, I don't aim for perfection. I aim for being thorough and painstaking every day. I'm super grateful to be here with all of you, and thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Pam, from San Jose. Uh, the meeting is now open for three-minute uh, pitches. So um, here is the speaker release form because you um, your voice will be recorded here. Um, let's see. So please sign the form prior to speaking. We ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on progress, not perfection, the topic discussed today. And this session will end at 3.30. Um, so are you would you like to time again? Cool. Okay. Who would like to uh to share? You can just come on up. Hi, I'm Connie. I'm a food addict and quantity addict, and I'm forcing myself to be up here again to try to share because I'm afraid I'll make a fool of myself, but I'm learning progress, not perfection. So um, what did I learn from program? Um, when I first came in, actually it was OA90 with you guys in, in 2009, um, I, uh, I treated it as a diet program. I lost 70 pounds. I was on cloud nine, or that pink cloud everybody talks about, and um, I really hadn't really examined what was driving me initially to want to eat. And so now, after working through the steps and learning more about myself, I realize for many years I believed about if this thing about progress, not perfection. I believe, well, if I, if I make mistakes, it is not okay. That means, um, you know, that I'm a really flawed person, and I kind of beat myself up a lot, which emotionally, and which really impacted my, I think, uh, it triggered me to want to eat, because I wanted to stuff those feelings. And from program, I learned that I don't have to be perfect. And... I started, you know, really listening to some of the sayings like live and let God. I let go of things. I started saying to myself, I remember the old Debbie Reynolds song, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I, I remembered that song and said, okay, you need to let go. So you didn't achieve the results that you wanted. That doesn't mean that you're a total failure. And it really helped. program helped me get through some really hard stuff in life, like, for example, um, I, I sometimes find myself in the position of educating our legislators here in, in, in Washington, D.C. Or, or in Sacramento. So I would actually say the serenity prayer because as I walked through the halls because I realized, and this was only after learning that I had to let go of the outcome. I could try to educate them all I wanted. That does not mean that you know, you're going to get what you want. And program helped me maintain my sanity for that. And the same with health issues, the same with financial issues. Learning to let go, let God, and, and just try the best you can and don't expect perfection from yourself, that's actually made me feel much more 
I, I would say, serene and calm. Now, I'm not perfect. I relapsed, you know, back into, not quite back into the food. I kept coming all these years, even though there's been some major issues in my life, major life changes. And all I can say is just keep coming back. It works. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Hi, my name is Chris. I'm a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. And um, I am probably one of the worst perfectionists in the world. Um, And one of the epiphanies I've had in program, I came in in 2006. And um, one of the epiphanies I had was how much time would I avail myself if I just stopped trying to be perfect all the time and have everything else perfect. And one of my excuses was, well, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to get to that meeting. I've got, you know, too much laundry. I got to feed my kids. I got to do this. Um, It's like now there's laundry all over the fucking place. And, you know, I don't, my car goes without a car wash for months and it's fantastic because I get to pray and I get to meditate and I get to get to a meeting and I get to get on the phone with my sponsees. I put my kids on Daniel Tiger and I'm on the phone with my sponsees because recovery really is so important. And the less I try to be perfect all the time, the more time I have to really grow. And I I don't use that as an excuse anymore. Um, I love that I come back and sometimes my bed's not made and the dishes are in the sink. I'm like, who cares? Because it's taken a long time for me to get to that place. But it has opened up so much time for me to do my art and paint and just be in the garden having fun with my kids. And it's amazing, but it's definitely been a process to get to that point where I can be okay with things not being perfect. And I'm actually so much happier that way. So thanks for letting me share. I'm Sherry, Baltimore reader. I'm just so glad I came in here. You know, I wasn't really going to, but the other two or whatever topics I'd had a lot of experience with, and I never came to this kind of topic, so I just sort of, you know, came, and I am just so happy. All three speakers were so great, and I really got a lot out of it, and I probably never chose this topic. I never uh, thought of myself as a perfectionist. I just was... I don't know, usually good enough was always okay. I didn't think I ever suffered from that. But then, you know, I really learned a lot today listening to all three of you. And uh, it, it made me realize that uh, in, in some ways I did do it. Like I would never come up and share. I've been in program now 33 years. But in the beginning, in the first, um, even though I was always a big talker and a big share with everybody, I would never come up, uh, I would never share at a meeting or share like this unless I really felt like I had something profound to say, you know. And, and, and then I realized that's, you know, so now I just come up, 
I haven't shared it all yet at this convention. I haven't said anything from the microphone, but I really just wanted to connect. That's really, you know, good enough. You know, I don't have to come up here and be perfect and say something that's going to blow you all away. I just, you know, I just really want to connect with everybody. And for me, I just have to open my mouth at least once at a meeting to everyone to really feel connected. But, um, and there's been a lot of other ways. Um, it, you, you know, I, like, like exercise was always okay. Like I, I didn't exercise at all. My sponsor got me to start. I'm really into it now. But I love the progress, and uh, it's always been enough just to see a little bit of progress. Like I could do more in an exercise class than I could do, you know, a few weeks ago, or I could do more at home on my elliptical than I could do even yesterday. Little bits of progress really excite me. The same with meditation. I was never hard on myself about it. So if I only got through five minutes, I'll do better tomorrow. But I could see listening to you that it had come into other areas, like my craziest area, like food. And that's maybe, you know, the craziness there, like, uh, you know, just going over and over, like, uh, you know, in the beginning of program, and like everybody said, when it wasn't perfect enough, then we just threw it all out, you know. It it, it either had to be just what we said or nothing. And, um, you know, uh, so, so that's an area to work on for me. So thanks a lot. I'm Luann, compulsive overeater. Um, I came in late, so I'm sorry I missed the first two speakers. Um, I'm, you know, thank you, Pam, though. It was awesome. Um, so my perfectionism uh, boiled down to uh, um, relationships. I was never perfect in a relationship, and I was never good enough. So there, if I wasn't perfect, you didn't love me. And if you didn't love me, then uh, I had to eat. And um, the, the interesting thing is, is that since I started programming, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to love m- myself because if you didn't love me because I wasn't perfect, I couldn't love you because you weren't perfect. And that really put a boundary. It put a wall between me and my relationships. And I never really bonded with anybody in my uh, my entire life until I met I only one person, my husband. Because um, he loved me even when I didn't love myself. And it was uh, a beautiful thing that my higher power brought him into my life uh, 31 years ago. So I spent 53 years of not bonding with anybody because you weren't perfect. And so, and I couldn't be perfect, so I beat myself up because I wasn't good enough. And, you know, it, it was a very lonely existence. Um, but now through, through program, um, I'm bonding with people. And I love, I'm starting to love myself. And it's not a selfish thing. I heard this uh, statement the other day is that I'm selfish because I have to take care of myself in order to love you. I can't take care of you in order for you to love me. And that's been how I was before. I had to do everything for you so you would love me. I don't have to do that anymore. Or I'm working on it anyhow. It's not perfect, but it's okay for me to be selfish because that's self-care that's my recovery and it's opened the doors for me to love me so that I can love you 
and your imperfections and I can love my imperfections um, and so and I appreciate you Pam what you said I, I work my program like my life depends on it you know it's 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 all or nothing for me because I want to go back to where I was disconnected from society and my friends and my family so um, every morning no matter what even when I don't feel like it I still do it I get up and I do my program so um, thank you for your service you guys thank you Thank you, everyone, for sharing. That is all the time we have. It is now time to uh, close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the All-Star Media table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the third set prayer that you'll find on page 8 of your program.